Please take your Bible and turn with me to uh, John chapter 15. This morning, about 15 of our high school, our high schoolers and uh, leaders left for a week at Wildwood. And this is the 15th year we've been going to Wildwood. I began taking students uh, there in 2001 with names like Sean Grork, Amy Burlingham, Kyle Kirshner, uh, Jennifer Steen, and Eric Beck. There were just five of us, five students and myself that first year. And over the years, I've had a front row seat as the Lord uh, has been pleased to use that week at Wildwood to reach students and leaders in a powerful and personal way. In many ways, like Moses on Mount Sinai, many of our young people and our leaders have heard directly from God while at summer camp. And we know some of them, and we've heard some of their stories even in this church. And I pray, and I know you do too, I pray and I trust that this week will be much the same for those who left this morning. One thing I tried to do at camp each year was grab some time with each student just to share a laugh or a meal, to talk, to pray, to play, uh, to read scripture, uh, to speak into their lives in some ways. And at times, when time allowed, it's a very full week, but when time allowed, I'd write a personal letter, very brief, a simple note to simply let them know that they are known and noticed. I wanted to affirm them. I wanted to affirm who they were and who they were becoming by God's grace. And I'm sure that all of us can remember someone who remembered us and took the time to remind us of such things. Well, as we come again to John chapter 15, that's what Jesus is doing, in a sense. He's speaking truth to his disciples, speaking into their lives, reminding them who they were and were becoming by God's grace. He's bringing them back to the basics, assuring them, and now us, that to abide in Christ is fruitful and fulfilling. Fruitful in that as we find our abode in Him, we will bear much fruit. And fulfilling in that abiding in Christ, we're told, brings joy to the full. We've spent over two weeks, we've spent the last two weeks in this passage already. We've taken it in two parts, but frankly, I'm not, I'm not sure we've done it justice. And so today, at the risk of taxing your patience, I want to look into this section once more. 
like wringing a well-soaked sponge. I just want to squeeze as much out as possible because I believe that every drop refreshes the soul. And as you've heard me say a few times already, because Christ is the true vine, all who abide in Him have all they need in all circumstances to be and to bear all that God has purposed for them now and forevermore. That's what I want us to know as we, as we, as we just soak into this verse, this passage, that, that all who, because Christ is the true vine, all who, all, without exception, all who abide in Him have all they need in all circumstances to be and to bear all that God has purposed for them now and forevermore. So let's read it together one more time. This time, the whole passage together, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. And these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another. As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. God, once again, we thank you for your word. And yet again, we come before you 
with expectant hearts. Anticipating what you may say, even this morning, even now in these moments. We're mindful that we come as a, in many ways, as a mixed bag from many different experiences, many different backgrounds, even many different situations this past week. And we look ahead at the week to come and we can think of many, many things that pull at us and want a piece of us and even good things that so often try to distract us from the vine. And so I pray this morning that you will minister to us through your word and reveal to us more and more the beauty of Jesus Christ and give us strength and joy and faith peace to abide in him always for our good for our good and that you may be glorified through Christ in his name we pray amen you know I think sometimes it's good to remind ourselves why the apostle John wrote this gospel And thankfully, he makes it uh, very plain to us near the end of his gospel when he says in chapter 20 that I have written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And of course, if you've been with us as we've uh, journeyed through the gospel thus far, you know that Jesus has been saying essentially the same thing throughout the account. In chapter 10, for example, he said very clearly, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I say this because the abundant life that we all seek There's not a single one of us here who does not want the abundant life. The abundant life we all seek comes by abiding in Christ. How exactly do we do that? That's the question I want to try to answer this morning. How exactly do we abide in Jesus? And as we Look one more time into this pivotal passage here in John 15. I think we find five specific ways to abide in Jesus. And I want to consider each one with you together. Number one. We're just going to try to go in order here. Number one, embrace the pruning of the Father. Embrace the pruning of the Father. God the Father is introduced in verse 1 as the vine dresser who lovingly tends to the vine through careful pruning of the branches. And Jesus says in verse 2, every branch in me 
that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear even more fruit. And so two kinds of pruning are taking place. The Father is carefully removing fruitless branches while also cutting back fruitful branches. Now, you've done enough uh, gardening, pruning around your yard to know that sometimes any given branch on any given tree or shrub or plant or flower or in this case vine may have other branches coming from it that aren't doing anything but stealing or sapping its life. Well, these need to be removed. Well, healthy branches must be trimmed, sometimes severely, for their greater long-term benefit. The, 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 the goal in both cases, whether trimming the branch or removing it entirely, is the same, which is greater health and vitality. Now, pruning is counterintuitive, isn't it? The thought of removing branches, even fruitful ones, especially fruitful ones, seems to defeat the purpose of growing a vibrant, healthy plant. It's addition by subtraction, and it's absolutely necessary. Now, I remember, I remember a crepe myrtle we had at our old house. And I wanted so much for this crepe myrtle to, to do its thing. I would drive around town and I would see these beautiful crepe myrtles. And I would go to people's homes and I would see their beautiful crepe myrtles. And I'd drive into my driveway and I'd look at my piddly little crepe myrtle. And so I began to ask around. And I, and I, I was told that crepe myrtles need severe pruning. That... <laughs> What I was told, that you cannot prune too much. So, one day I went at it with loppers in hand. And limbs and branches and lesser branches were just falling in a flurry. And I was on fire, and so it seemed, until I made that one fateful cut and accidentally removed the one main branch that housed the entire right side of the tree. <laughs> you know, that one branch that basically makes the whole tree. And as it was falling to the ground, almost in slow motion, as if trying to save itself, <laughs> I realized what I had done. 
And the look on my wife's face just confirmed it. <laughs> Not only did we have a piddly crepe myrtle, now we had a lopsided crepe myrtle. <laughs> just one stump with a few little stumps coming out of it on one side. Whereas good pruning is always addition by subtraction, mine that day was just subtraction by subtraction. And I want you to know that your Heavenly Father is not like that. He, he always, always, always knows exactly where to cut and when and what. There's never an accident or mistake on his part. He knows exactly how to cut. And at times, if we stick with this analogy, at times he, he uses loppers Sometimes pruning shears. Sometimes even just garden scissors to reach those delicate, harder to reach areas. And the pruning may prove severe and it may seem like more than you can handle. And it comes in so many forms like health struggles and work struggles and money struggles and school struggles and church struggles and family struggles and, re and relational struggles and on and on and on. But the reason you can count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds as James exhorts in, in, the, in, in the first chapter of his letter is that God is sanctifying you. And according to His great love, not only does He unite you to Himself uh, uh, in Christ, but He is com committed to perfecting you in Christ. And almost everyone, right? Almost everyone will tell you that the times they grew most were often the most trying. And so abiding in Christ means embracing the Father's pruning. Number two. Very simply, be the branch, not the vine. Be the branch, not the vine. Now, this is a given, obviously, but needs to be said anyway. Notice that Jesus didn't assume that these guys knew exactly what he meant, so he clarified roles when he said in verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. I'm the vine. You're the branches. He wanted them to know exactly who does what. And we mustn't confuse this vine-branch relationship 
or how it came about. So much of our heartache, so much of our disappointment, so much of our frustration as Christian believers owes to our attempts to be or to do what Jesus alone can be or do. Make no mistake, your life and your spiritual well-being and whatever fruit comes from it comes from the vine. You remember that time when, when, when Christ's disciples had been fishing night and day, and yet they didn't catch a single thing. They were experienced fishermen, but they came back that time empty and utterly exhausted, and I suspect perturbed, ticked off, wasted their time. Their efforts had yielded them nothing, and they'd given up. And what Je- so what does Jesus do? He sends them back out, this time to the deep waters, and he tells them to let down their nets. Well, Peter scoffed at first. You can only imagine what he was thinking. Well, then they did what Jesus said, and to their amazement, they caught so many fish that their nets began to break under the weight. Now, what was Jesus teaching in those moments? He was teaching them to trust and obey in that order. Trust is essential to abiding in Christ. I want to bear fruit as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, pastor, seminary student, friend, and neighbor. I want joy to the full. I want to be part of something much larger than myself, something beyond my obvious limitations or even my perceived abilities. In short, I want the abundant life like so many of you do too, but sometimes we want it so much that we try to make it happen on our own, and yet Jesus wants us to know even today, even this morning, that all that is ultimately fruitful and fulfilling is found in Him. Spurgeon once said, It is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite, for he's constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, Remember, It is not thy hold of Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. It is not thy joy in Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. It is not even faith in Christ, though that is the instrument. It is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore, look not so much to thy hand with which thou art grasping Christ as to Christ. Look not to thy hope, but to Jesus, the source of thy hope. Look not to thy faith, but to Jesus, the author and finisher of thy faith. We shall never find happiness. Or, I could say, 
We should never find the abundant life. We should never find happiness by looking at our doings or feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. You see, the branch is never intended to do what only the vine can do. Ours is not to produce the fruit, simply to bear it, not to search for satisfaction, simply to stay in Christ who satisfies. So be the branch. Know your role and know his. Be the branch. Not the vine. Number three. Live by the words of Christ. Live by the words of Christ. So in verse 7, Jesus talks about His words abiding in us. And again in verse 10, He mentions the importance of keeping His commandments. And the point, I think, is that abiding in Christ means, assumes, requires Christ abiding in you and Christ abides in you through His Word. Psalm 1 paints such a vivid picture of this. You know it. You know it well. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Oh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night and he is like a tree firmly planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither in all he does he prospers Our rebellious nature and selfish tendencies, they buck and bristle at the notion of obedience to another. But Christ's commandments are so good for us, words of love meant for your everlasting joy, and your obedience to them is modeled by Jesus Himself, who, like the psalmist, delights in the law of the Lord. You know, the Bible is truth for life, for all aspects of life. It talks about things like marriage and parenting and family and all your many relationships. It talks about your work and life in the marketplace and and money, and material things, and how to treat and respond to such things. It talks about government, and culture, and ministry. It it offers wisdom that never fails and makes sense of the world. Your health, your your needs, your plans, your, your future, it's all covered. It's all covered within these pages. Whatever your age, whatever your situation, the Bible is for you. It's It's tender toward you. It's truthful with you. Because all Scripture, 
All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof, correction and training in righteousness, that you may be complete and equipped for every good work. For the Word of God, we're told in Hebrews 4, the Word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We're told in 2 Peter that, that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man because men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is just like the flower of grass and the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You see, the Bible is not something impersonal. It's divine word of God that shapes molds, transforms you from the inside out. And it all points to Jesus in some way. It all points to Jesus in some way. In the Old Testament, He is predicted. And in the, in the, in the Gospels, He is presented. And in, and in Acts, He is preached. And in the epistles, He is proclaimed. And in Revelation, He is prophesied to come again. And so it's so important, loved ones, that we learn our Bible and live by the words of Christ. Number four. Speak with the voice of dependence. Speak with the voice of dependence. And I get this from two specific verses. First, verse 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And again in verse 16, he affirms that he chose us to bear fruit that abides so that whatever you ask the Father in Christ's name, he may give to you. And of course, he's talking about prayer. But it's so much more than prayer. At the root, it's about depending on Jesus. Jesus wants you to ask God for whatever is on your heart. That's what the word whatever means. So with statements like these, he's stirring in us greater boldness in prayer while also safeguarding us against prideful prayer. And James does something similar when he wrote, you do not have, why? Because you do not ask. The implication is ask. But then he says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives to spend it on your own passions. 
And so this isn't about making outlandish requests of God for your own purposes. It's about abiding in Christ for God's purposes according to His will and all that Christ's name stands for. I want you to know, the Bible wants you to know, God wants you to know that there is power in the name of Jesus. So that on one hand, we need to pray boldly in His name, believing that our Heavenly Father is able and willing to answer. He is able to accomplish whatever He wills. And willingly, He invites and welcomes our prayers so that when our prayers align with His heart, heaven and earth unite in power. As in, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On the other hand, however, we need to pray humbly in the name of Jesus, believing that we need Him as much as a branch needs the vine. On this Independence Day weekend, it may seem odd or out of place to encourage dependence, but that's exactly what's needed. For just as our American independent spirit is part and parcel to our country's existence, so does our dependence on Christ epitomize what it, need, what it means to be Christian. Our dependence on Christ epitomizes what it means to be Christian. When you pray, bring your entire list of cares and concerns before your Heavenly Father. Whatever is on your heart and mind, all your desires, including even your dreams, then prayerfully filter those things through the revealed will of God and the character of Christ. And God has revealed so much of His will through His Word, and Christ wants so much for you to bear much fruit. Present all your requests with your list in hand. Present each request to the Lord in this way, for in so doing, you're speaking with the voice of dependence. And then fifth and finally, Love one another. So critical is your love for one another to how you abide in Christ. Jesus, notice, commands it twice in a span of just a few verses. Saying in verse 12, This is my commandment that 
you love one another as I have loved you. And again in verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. I mentioned last week the command to love one another appears 14 times in the New Testament and is the most frequently repeated one another in the Bible. And so this isn't some peripheral add-on to your Christian experience. It is central to your life in Christ. Central. And at the very core of loving one another the very core of loving one another is simply spending time with one another. Hebrews 10.24 exhorts, let us consider East Parkway, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now this verse does two things. First, it calls for continued interaction among believers. We're told to consider how to stir up and encourage one another to love and good works, particularly in light of Christ's certain and imminent return. But notice that it also calls out those apparent believers who make a habit of neglecting to meet together, of failing to meet and, and experiencing and enjoying true Christian fellowship. And so people, this is yet another reason why church participation is essential to life in Christ. So essential is the church to Jesus that for the church, Jesus lived and died, which is, which is alluded in verse 13 and proclaimed throughout the entire New Testament. Never was the Christian life intended to be just you and Jesus. Never. And though Christ loves you personally, though Christ tends to you personally, though Christ seeks and He saves you personally, He saves you into the family of God. And God bestows on you spiritual gifts of grace by which He blesses those around you. Those gifts aren't for you. They're for those around you. And He bestows on those around you other gifts by which He blesses you. Now I know I'm speaking to the choir here. Let us just be reminded that church attendance is a priority. 
that our gathering on Sunday morning is a given. One of those anchor pieces you put in your calendar and it's the, it's the rare exception that the anchor is moved. Let us participate in a church ministry. Let each of us participate in a church ministry, whether on Sundays or during the week, for the benefit, listen, for the benefit of someone else whom God intends to bless through you. Though I assure you that you will be blessed too. And so let us, each of us, consider, consider, just consider at least one way to meet together during the week for mutual stirring and support. Maybe it's Wednesday night prayer. I've been making more of an effort in that regard. Also sensitive to family needs and the other nights of the week that were pulled apart, but so important. Maybe it's, maybe it's a men's group or women's group or youth group or college group. Maybe it's one of our life groups or, or maybe it's considering the coordination of an additional life group or, or hosting one. You know, historically, the church has always met in each other's homes throughout the week. Even the very first church is recorded in the book of Acts. That church went from 120 to 3,000 and more people were being added by the thousands. And I assure you, they didn't construct an expansive multi-use, multi-site campus to accommodate the larger numbers. I assure you that, that no one in that church had a house large enough to accommodate everyone else. So what'd they do? They met in each other's homes. Smaller groups of Christian believers gathered together in homes throughout the region for prayer and study and fellowship and ministry. That church, small groups are nothing new. That church essentially set the bar. And that's why we on the elder board and church staff would love, we would just love one day to see every single person at East Parkway involved in a midweek life group of some sort. Whatever it is that God impresses upon you and however it plays out in our church, we must not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. Let us instead stir and support one another, loving one another, even as Christ loved us. So this passage here in John 15, as we come to close, in this passage we find five ways to abide in Christ. Embrace the pruning of the Father. 
Be the branch, not the vine. Live by the words of Christ. Speak with the voice of dependence. And love one another. And be assured of this. As you abide in Jesus, you will bear much fruit and have joy to the full. This is abundant life in his name. Amen. God, just in these moments of quiet, I look out upon these faces and peer into these eyes and I can just tell that you've been here with us and you've spoken to us and even now your your Holy Spirit is ministering convicting some exhorting others prompting others thank you thank you that your word does not return void and so we believe that even in these moments we've shared together you've done eternal work on our souls that will bear fruit that abides We glory in you today, through Christ our Lord. Amen.